In times of volatility, investors tend to make irrational decisions. We saw that in the COVID crash of March 2020, when many investors, fearing a much deeper crash, sold into a falling market only to miss out on one of the fastest rebounds in history. And it's in times of volatility that mistakes are made and biases enter the picture. Markets are not rational and market participants do not act in a rational manner. The entire study of behavioral economics is an attempt to understand this apparent absence of reason when it comes to financial markets. Well, who better to help us understand this than Adrian Pask, who is Chief Investment Officer at PSG Wealth. Hi, Adrian. Welcome back. In our previous discussions with you, you highlighted that the investor often makes the same type of mistakes, especially when markets are volatile. What does behavioral economics say about these mistakes? Hello, Kieran, and, and hello to, to all our listeners. Uh, yeah, uh, that's something that, that we've mentioned before in some of the, the previous podcasts as well. I think there's really four key takeaways from behavioral finance to date. Um, and I think that the first and most important one is that the mistakes that, that are being made by investors are quite costly. So some of the more popular research that's being circulated is a, a study from Dalbo Research, which is a, a fairly well-known study in, in finance circles. But essentially what they find is that U.S. equity investors generate approximately 7% from the S&P, where the return from the S&P itself is, is closer to 11%. So that 4% erosion is purely just through, um, you know, investor behavior, uh, timing things um, less than ideally just because of, of all these stresses and, and, and investor behaviors that are, are counterproductive. That study is not 29 years old. And, and the most recent one that came out shows that, I mean, it sounds like a 4% difference, which isn't isn't insignificant, but... The compounding effect of that over that 29 years actually shows that if you invested $100,000 at the beginning of that period, the S&P would have returned $2.1 million, where the average equity investor on the market doing it himself, with all obviously all the counterproductiveness in it, would, would have essentially ended with a value of $790,000, which, which means essentially that only 38% of the value that's generated uh, through equity markets is harvested and the balance is really eroded through, through improper behavior. Uh, and, and then there's a, a similar study in the unit trust space that's performed by Morningstar. And what they find is that uh, differential is closer to 2%, which you can understand is slightly lower than the one from Dalbar, just because there's obviously fixed income uh, mutual funds or unit trusts in there as well, where the impact might be slightly more muted. But the point remains that there is um, very dark costs involved in these investor behaviors. And then the other key takeaways from behavioral finance is not only that these mistakes are quite costly, but the same mistakes are, are repeated um, all the time. So it's not really new mistakes that investors make. Given that a situation repeats itself like a recession, investors typically make the same mistakes during recessions or volatile periods. So it's repeated under the same market condition. And, and we obviously see a lot of that now. But I think most importantly uh, for investors is the last finding, which is given that these are things that reoccur, it is something that can be planned for. So if, if we know investors make these mistakes and they make the same mistakes over and over, then obviously we have some opportunity to address those mistakes in anticipation of them you know, having a possibility of reoccurring again. So I think that's really the, 
the whirlwind summary of where we stand with uh, behavioral finance at the moment. Behavioral economics talks about these different kinds of biases that enter into the picture. So you get things like confirmation bias and affirmation bias. Maybe just describe what is a confirmation bias and what does that mean in practical terms in the investment world? Well, very simply, confirmation bias is essentially looking only at research or comments that support your own view of things. So, for example, if your view is that investing in South Africa is not the greatest idea at the moment, then then which statement are you m- most likely to incorporate into your own thinking? Is, is it that asset, assets are attractively priced or load shedding is going to make it very difficult for people to or for companies to grow profits? So the confirmation bias would essentially mean that if your view is that South Africa is in trouble, you'll probably discount the comment that says is assets are attractive and, and rather incorporate the load shedding argument into your analysis. So the sad reality is that the, the research is an ongoing task and you obviously need to adjust your views as new facts come to light. But if you're going to have this confirmation bias in your process, you essentially guarantee yourself that you're not moving your analysis and interpretation of, of your surrounding environment according to to, to the latest relevant facts. So, so obviously from there, it will lead to mistakes. Here's another one, recency bias. What is a recency bias and how does it entail, uh, and how does it affect it, your investment decision-making? Yeah, so, so recency bias um, essentially states that investors give more weight to recent develops, uh, developments um, than to more dated ones. So as time passes, it's more likely that some of the older facts will fade into distant memory. So, um, you know, for example, you know, why do investors feel that markets are down? I, I, I was speaking to an investor earlier this week, actually, and the comment that, that came up was um, markets have been flat for a few years now. And, and I was quite taken aback by it because, actually, if you look at the returns through the market, it was 20% per annum over the last two years. So we've actually run quite hard. But it's obviously a, a little bit of recency bias that's featuring in there because obviously we haven't had the greatest year year to date. The markets are are, are, are are flat to slightly down. So that's obviously what's featuring, and 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 that's a good, very good example of of the the recency bias and how people discount things that have happened in medium to longer term periods. The studies also show that investors place more emphasis than on, on the short-term performance numbers than on, on longer-term ones. So, you know, it's almost the uh, same as the, the adage that we find in the sports environment. Where they say you're only as good as your last innings and everything else is forgotten, you know. So um, I think looking at this from a research lens, though, is that investors are simply basing their decisions on very small pools of information. So only the very recent things. So if you're going to focus on, on those very few data points, again, you, you're missing the bigger picture. You, you're becoming reliant on something that is actually statistically insignificant in the bigger scheme of things. And therefore, again, the risk of error becomes a lot bigger. All right, I'm going to throw a few uh, other biases at you from behavioral economics. Incentive cause bias and hindsight bias, what are those? Yeah, so, I mean, I think hindsight bias is also related to making decisions with full, full hindsight. So, 
essentially you look back at things and you feel like something should have been quite obvious where at the point in time that it occurred, it wasn't actually obvious at all. And this is especially important when you start evaluating um, performance numbers and, and other things. So, you know, not everything that transpires today was very ob obvious a week or two ago. I think especially true in the environment where we're operating at the moment, where the surprises seem to be a, a daily occurrence. Uh, Adrian, so what should investors do to avoid these biases when it comes to investing? Obviously, as I mentioned at the beginning, the mistakes are quite costly. So on the other side of that, they are very predictable. And I think the first point is to understand that all investors are, in the end of the day, just human. And we have these flaws in our nature, in our instincts. And when we're under pressure, we do certain things and think in certain ways. Um, and we need to recognize the potential impact of these emotions and human instincts on our behavior as investors. The best way to, to try and get around that is to get yourself in a place where you understand what your biases are. And then you essentially need to prepare yourself and say, if I'm an equity investor that's going to invest for five to 10 years, you're likely going to get one, at least one, probably two recessions over that period, which more often than not, obviously, uh, translates into a market pullback. So if you know that's going to happen and you, and you say to yourself, well, I'm going to be prepared for that. I'm not going to panic during that environment. I'm not going to shorten my investment horizon. I'm not going to follow the herd and start selling off and changing my plans and shortening my investment horizon, etc. making those kind of mistakes. Uh, then I think you're in a much stronger position to, to navigate that, that type of scenario. And obviously, it's really important to remain objective. And this is where a supporting party can be quite helpful. So, you know, try to get objective research in or objective advice in. Again, this is where the role of a financial planner can be quite helpful because you might be thinking, you know, I'm panicking, must be the right thing to just sit in on the sidelines and cash. But if you speak, speak else that not as emotionally attached to the savings as you are and can give you good objective advice to navigate that situation, think long term, help you identify where your investor behavior is potentially doing more harm than good, then that's probably the, the right way to try and approach um, those tricky situations that we do find. Adrian Pask, Chief Investment Officer at PSG Wealth. We're going to leave it there. Thank you very much, Adrian. Thank you very much, Kieran. Thank you to the listeners. Appreciate it.